hello and welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Rocket podcast. Uh, Mads and I are very excited today to be joined by Dr. Dean, um, the the creator of Supplement Needs, who does all of the sciencey stuff in the background. Um, so welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks. Thanks very much for inviting me on. It's a privilege. It's, and, um, it's uh, great. Yeah, it's great to have you. I think we've tried to have a, a real mix of people on the podcast as we've gone through it. We've had female health experts. We've had um, like bodybuilding coaching experts. And also you've got yourself who I think could delve into any element of the body in terms of health from a bodybuilding perspective or even just just generally, I think. So I'm interested to get your thoughts on um, on some of the things that we want to talk about. But I'll let Hannah kind of roll with the angle we're coming at today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So as we kind of touched on before we started recording, we have done a huge amount on um, TRT in women, HRT, um, performance enhancing drug use, um, as well as uh, speaking with people like Olivia from Femtech and and talking about how you can make the most of your natural potential with just a little bit of supplementation as opposed to drug usage, for example. Um, and I think that's something that we're really keen to talk to you about. Given that you work and create supplement needs, you're going to have a huge amount of knowledge around how to do exactly that, make the most of what you have in front of you. So um, we've got some questions that we'd like yeah, to ask yeah, you. Yeah, some questions. Um, it just ramble. <laughs> but yeah, if, it's like a very organic conversation. So if you kind of want to veer off in your own way because you feel like it's going to bring value to the listeners, then please, please do that. Absolutely. I think one of the first questions that I had, and it's something that is quite evident in like females who are either natural or not natural is how they can support their thyroid when they're going through like a, um, a contest prep or even coming out the back of it and I think there's this perception with females probably due to a lack of education potentially who are natural who think oh well I can't support my thyroid because I can't take exogenous t3 or a t4 so how can we as natural females manage that or look after that and is what are the, some of the best ways that you can support that through essentially your prep or post-show and, and generally look after the health of your thyroid? Yeah, it's a really nice question. So first off, for anyone that doesn't really understand it, thyroid's main role is our sort of a regulatory centre for our metabolism. And it does that by producing two hormones, T4 and T3 then. The two of them I work in synergism with one another. So obviously your thyroid will make T4, which is the inactive thyroid hormone, and it will store that within your thyroid or within some of your cells. And you basically convert that to the active thyroid hormone T3 on like a needed basis. So generally a natural person will on average, and this is, so it can be like, plus or minus 10, 15%. We're looking at about 100 micrograms of T4 being made in an average human and about 25 micrograms of T3 being produced. How it all uh, begins is your hypothalamus makes a hormone called thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, actually, your hypothalamus tells the pituitary to make that hormone. You've actually got a thyrotropin hormone where the hypothalamus tells the pituitary to make TSH. So we'll get into it in a minute, but we all sort of tend to focus on TSH 
and the pituitary, but sometimes the problem is actually in the hypothalamus at the back. Um, so you produce this hormone called TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone that tells your thyroid hormone then, OK, start making T4 and T3. And then obviously that uh, causes the thyroid uh, follicle cells to make T4 using iodine. So we can see in a minute how important then that mineral is going to be. And also when you have T4 moving through the body, when it enters into your cells, you have um, a special kind of transport protein called selenoproteins that rely on selenium. So we start to see iodine and selenium are probably the two biggest minerals that we need to consider for the thyroids. And then the starting block for thyroid hormone is tyrosine, the amino acid. So again, there's three things from your diet that become very important towards your, your thyroid health, tyrosine, the amino acid, your iodine intake and your selenium. The other uh, side to the coin is about 30 to 60% of your thyroid hormone can get converted in your gut. So now we can start to see issues that happen in potentially females or even males that uh, gut dysbiosis or um, basically you, you produce this um, form of your your thyroid hormone that has uh, what we call an acetate group attached to it. And you have certain gut bacteria that cleave away that acetate group to let the um, active hormone go into circulation. So having, you know, really good gut health or optimal gut health is really important for your thyroid conversion from a gut perspective and then the liver delivers another site of about 25 to 30 percent of your thyroid hormone conversion as well so, so would you say then if i can just jump in if we are, are you suggesting that maybe if you're overactive with your thyroid produ production this is where you might have issues in the gut potentially in your liver or are you suggesting that potentially that's absorbing some of the thyroid that you are potentially producing and therefore cannot be used effectively so effectively you'd have hypothyroidism where you'd have less thyroid hormones so we'll often see problems with the liver where you won't have enough conversion and the same with the gut the gut won't be able to activate enough thyroid hormone so now all of a sudden you're you're not seeing high levels of t3 within the body that makes sense so then with with regards to that of talking about the the three main kind of nutrients there that people can be getting from their foods for example or their diet and their nutrition um what are good sources of food what you'd recommend for people when they're looking at say they're in a prep and we're trying to preserve a natural prep we're trying to preserve this as much as possible what kind of food sources are we looking for there and obviously understanding you get further into prep and some of those food sources are going to have to come out right so then this is why you've obviously brought out certain certain products to help but as a as a natural source um what are the main kind of recommendations in terms of food mm -hmm. sources which are high in these which are going to support that so when it comes to iodine and selenium there isn't a huge amount i mean selenium in terms of where we are today a lot of our soil is uh, deficient in selenium so a lot of our sort of uh produce from the ground would have been enriched with selenium depending on the soil it's not really the case um <laughs> Probably the main one that a lot of people are familiar with is Brazil nuts. Brazil nuts would be a very rich source of selenium. Iodine is probably a little more difficult. So 
Um, you'll find a level of iodine and some seafood. Um, and to be honest, it ends up falling into the category that most people end up having to supplement. Maybe with even you can get iodinized salt. Yeah. Um, where there's iodine within the salt or it just falls to being one of those things where you can supplement with sea kelp, which yeah. is effectively, you know, um, a, 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 a sea mammal that is high in um, uh, iodine. So they, they they extract the iodine from the, the sea kelp. Yeah, that would always be like a recommended source of salt anyway, from like a coaching perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a good that's a good um, a good source there. But it is hard, I think, for to get a lot of these sources in or be able to find some of these. So I think that, you know, understanding that this is what people need in order to have a healthy thyroid and understanding when you're going through a prep, you're probably going to be quite deficient in these. So your supplementation is going to be so important to try and maintain these levels of thyroid that you're going to need in order to help you and be successful in your prep. Yeah, like, I mean, tyrosine, the amino acid, it's the starting block for dopamine in your brain as well. So you, you've sort of got a double-edged sword here where you're trying to fuel dopamine production within the brain as well as uh, fuel tired hormone synthesis with uh, the, the tyrosine intake. And obviously tyrosine is going to come from your, your lean protein sources. Um, so that that is probably going to be the easiest one not to be deficient in. But yeah. on the, the other side... Um, depending on the food source they're being prescribed to the female or male they may not actually be tyrosine rich there are certain protein sources where the amino acid profile is slightly lower in tyrosine versus say dairy dairy would be quite high in in tyrosine yeah i mean i've like i myself had um off the back of my shows last year um fairly low amounts of t3 and t4 i did supplement for a while with exogenous t4 came away from it and then did use uh use supplement these thyroid stack and it was night and day after even just one month probably boosted my levels by like 60 percent something crazy and i now sit like right at the top marker so i think people need to understand as well like um supplementing these things i think that's maybe a question for you is like once you've supplemented and you're in a better place with these hormones like your thyroid do you need to continue to supplement like for me like I ran that for a month come away from that continue to have my bloods testing and now I'm in a healthier state you might say I'm actually maintaining that level of thyroid without having to consistently supplement so it's not something people necessarily have to do forever but especially when it's low to give you that boost can be necessary right yeah yeah so my my view on any type of supplement is that it's just used to do the job that nutrition should play um that's really the core message here when it comes to any form of supplement is that if everyone ticked every single box with their nutrition i would be out of a job or i'd be out of interest so (laughs) you know it's it's one of those things that you have to see what's deficient see what's flagging on blood work so obviously if the thyroid panel's flagging um to sort of cover a few different scenarios you could have um high tsh which means the brain is you know, trying to output more thyroid stimulating hormone to tell the thyroid make more hormone. And that could be because your T4 and your T3, your thyroid hormone levels are low. So the brain is trying to tell the thyroid, come on, you need to pick up the pace here. You can have 
a scenario where your TSH production is normal. So your brain is telling the thyroid to make enough. Your T4 is normal, which is the inactive. So you're making the thyroid hormones in the pituitary without problem. But then there's an issue with creating T3, which is the active thyroid hormone that actually tells your cells what to do. And that can come from a lot of different things. And one thing that really controls thyroid hormone metabolism is the transport of it. So like sex hormones, you've got thyroid binding globulin. So you've got a special protein that behaves like sex hormone binding globulin. One of the things that increases THBG production is estrogen. So when you have elevated estrogen, you'll make more THBG. And that means that more of your T4 is stuck onto it. So you'll have less free T3 circulating. Um, the other side of it is your thyroid peroxidase enzymes, which help convert T4 to T3. So you may have an issue there where your, your TPO function might be a little off. Um, and that can be, again, due to um, micronutrient deficiencies. So that, that conversion of inactive T4 to T3 just isn't happening fast enough. And then we have the gut problem that we covered a moment ago. So when you supplement with something like thyroid stack, um, that was designed that you're getting, you know, a mega dose of tyrosine to help fuel the body. So you get about 500 milligrams of tyrosine in the tree capsules. You're getting your um, iodine and selenium to play into the, the iodine and selenium needs of the body. And then you have stuff like folinic acid, which is a form of folate that helps your DNA turn on and off. Um in a process called methylation and why that's key is you have genes in your hypothalamus that are required to produce thyrotropin which is the stimulating hormone that tells the pituitary to make tsh so if your methylation if your gene function of how the genes in your brain are working um is faulty or you're not providing enough foley for that gene to work correctly um, you're going to see a drop off in TSH because the, the hypothalamus isn't stimulating it enough. Um, you've got other things like um, molybdenum, which is quite important as well for, for thyroid health. And again, a, a trace mineral that is rarely in any food. And the other um, sort of side to the, to the stack is stress, providing mm-hmm. adaptogens that lower levels of stress and help the body uh, convert more T4 to T3. I think, I think this brings about like, I know that I can see you're wanting to jump in there, Hannah, as well, like the importance here for women in any scenario, I guess off season or prep or whatever it is. And, and we sort of promote the, 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 the reverse from a, from a diet or a prep to be like straight up to maintenance, a lot of micronutrients, good, good amount of varied food, because the whole aim is the needs basis right which is like get healthy like we need to get healthy so our body's in a good place and all this all this really does we talk you're talking about all these to a lot of listeners will be quite scientific things but what all these then point back to really is like the original source of what you're putting in your body which comes down to essentially the nutrients you're putting in and the micronutrients and especially when you're in a position where you can fuel your body as much as you can like in your off season 
that is the time to be healthy you know don't use your macros to eat pop tarts use them to mm. eat good varied food where you're getting all as many micronutrients as you can okay you can't choose the source of the soil that it comes from but you can choose the source of the food right so you can you can make a really big impact from just the food sources that you're using and trying to provide as much micronutrients as possible which I mean we've promoted a lot previous right Hannah but mm. Yeah, um, I was kind of thinking about that, like as an athlete and thinking about the end of an off season to the beginning of a prep and the end of the off season, you have a lot more freedom with food Um, you can add in the colourful vegetables that you you want to actually eat as opposed to just like kale and broccoli and things like that. Um, And you can have those varying sources of uh, protein and you can have all the different fats. I mean, you touched on Brazil nuts. Um, it would be lovely to have that freedom towards the end of a prep. Um, So from that stage then, so say you're in a 16 or a 20 week prep and you're taking all of those wonderful natural um, food sources and slowly depleting them down, if you weren't to have your blood work done, at what point do you think you'd start to think well do I need supplementation at this point when do you know that that's the right time to add that in very hard question I guess you'd have to go by physical symptoms towards maybe a level of thyroid insufficiency or where you're heading for what we'd probably call subclinical hypothyroidism where your your thyroid is is functioning okay but not not the best as what it was previously um so you'd start paying attention to uh, your hair, for example, if your hair started to fall in, mm. then we know that we're sort of in a scenario where, OK, we've got low thyroid hormones circulating in the body. Now, this gets obviously a little more complicated because obviously prep leads to other nutritional deficiencies. So you can't just have a sudden point at the thyroid and say, that's why my hair is falling out or when my skin and hair or nails are brittle. That could be a vitamin A deficiency as well. So or a zinc deficiency. So it's it's very difficult to, I guess, point at the thyroid without having blood work to say this is the level of hormone in the in the body. Mm. Um, I guess you would have to go by potentially one thing that you could do would be to track your your basal temperature. So obviously we can track temperature from a fertility perspective to see increases in baseline temperature for when we have a higher luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone periods. Um, But our body temperatures are sort of designed to operate at a a rough sort of plus or minus, you know, 0.2, 0.3 of a degree away from a baseline. So what you could do is track your, your daily morning temperature when you get out of bed and when you start to see chronically low body temperatures where you're, you're sort of half a degree lower than where you used to sit then you start to see potential issues where you're not making enough thyroid hormone but at that point you would want to go and get blood work to actually see okay this is where my tsh is this is where my t4 is and this is where my t3 is mm. um i think that's a really good bit of advice actually yeah I, because I agree. we're talking about natural athletes here so mm. we're talking about somebody who doesn't have anything exogenous that's going to potentially play with um the the hormonal effects that you're going to get with someone who's assisted so i think that's a really good bit of advice and i think like as a bit of a i'm not going to say a fail safe as well but obviously some people are in a position where 
a natural athlete, they've maybe got their bloods done at the peak of their off season, maybe at the end of their last prep. They might not be in a position if they're on a 20 week prep where they can. I'm not going to say they can't afford to, but, you know, we need to be realistic sometimes about the, some of the athletes. Maybe you've got a first timer who's natural, who, you know, they maybe can't afford to get their blood panel done every six weeks. We need to be maybe savvy about when we time that blood work to say, OK, well, you've maybe take a bit of a hit through deficiencies here at maybe a time that you might recommend Dean like maybe six weeks or eight weeks out or something I'm sure you've got a time scale for that but also I guess that's the first question the second question might be then okay well if you are that natural female in a prep and maybe you can't get your bloods on as regularly as we'd like you to is there like five go-to supplements that you would say do you know what these are going to be quite fail safe for you to maintain some kind of level of general hormonal health through this time period um, instead of specifically prescribing off the back of bloods, but as a general kind of health panel that you would recommend in that scenario? Yeah, well, first off, the, the thyroid stack can be used at any time. And that's yeah. that's designed, I mean, that came out last uh, January, I think. And since then, I've taken it every single day uh, without fail. And it's just one of those ones that because I understand the value of the thyroid gland, um, and just what I see in my bloods being, you know, my thyroid panel has been super optimal with this every single time I've gotten blood work. It's one of those ones that if you can afford to take it year round, by all means, if you're afraid that you're going to run into nutritional deficiencies. Um, probably, you know, the the core basics, your, your tyrosine, your iodine and selenium, probably you could get that through diet. And again, it's probably going to cost you more to buy a supplement than it would be to have. I think your RDA of selenium can be achieved with like two or three Brazil nuts, providing, you know, they've been adequately grown in selenium uh, sufficient soil. You've got the enough, so, enough macros to eat them. <laughs> yeah, and you've got enough fat that you can you can afford three, three Brazil nuts. Um, so I mean, we laugh, you know, but in some cases people don't. Yeah, no, we're, we're laughing. And like you have people taking their morning supplements and then they've got their three Brazil nuts beside their pills. Yeah. I want to keep my, my three Brazil nuts from my <laughs> selenium. <laughs> and it's also a good way to absorb your, your fat soluble vitamins as well. So uh, jokes aside, I'd say um I really you're you're sort of re- a really good multivitamin will cover or should have iodine, zinc selenium within it and that, that is one thing that i've done with our multivitamin was put everything that i knew people would be deficient in in terms of micronutrients into this uh, all-in-one multivitamin and mineral product and again it has your folate in it your b vitamin so it's pretty much your fail safe supplement that you're covering all your, your nutritional deficiencies in terms of the micronutrients i would say um, as well with multivitamin especially um yours like me and Corey take yours like it's it's something that is super affordable for everybody like a multivitamin I mean even if you get a chewable one from Asda like they're not the same but still it's going to cost you a few quid and it's going to probably last you a month like I think your multivitamin is like 15 pounds or something it'll last you a month like it you know it's it's something that if you're embarking on a prep and you're spending money on a coach and you're paying for shows like 15 quid for a multivitamin that's probably going to is going to help you. It's going to help you from a health perspective. And if your health is better, you're going to respond better. You're going to have a nicer time in prep. Like it's something that you should not be missing out on. 
is something that's so affordable. If you're thinking about you can't get bloods done, like simply a, a simple multivitamin there is going to make a large difference. And it's something that's super affordable for people as well. So, yeah, I mean, we recommend that to everybody. Like it's a basic thing. Well, let's it's, break um, it down. What, 50p a day? Exactly. Yeah, people spend one pound fifty on a monster every day. So you 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 you've nailed it there as well. Like, you know, you get people that have this hesitancy when it comes to supplements and the budget, and it's sort of like, oh well, that's a massive upfront investment, like fifty. Basically, put it this way: you can walk into Home Bargains and probably pick up a multivitamin for two pounds. And it's just going to be some backyard junk basement made multivitamin. Now, when you look at, you have to basically look at the ingredients that are being used and whether they're bioavailable or not. Mm. And the easiest way to tell that is you, you just have to look at the B vitamins that people use and whether they're using the the active forms of B vitamins. So your body basically has to convert B vitamins into a phosphorylated form is like the fancy name but when you look on um the back of your multivitamin unless beside the name it has like phosphate you're taking in pretty much the inactive form of the B vitamin that your body has to convert and if it doesn't do that conversion you just end up peeing it out because it's water soluble so that's a big thing when you look at, you know, the quality of your multivitamin has to have bioavailable forms that your body can absorb. Otherwise, again, you're just wasting money. Um, mm-hmm. So the multivitamin is probably like the, the, going to cover all your, your sort of basics um, that you may miss out as you get further into prep without getting uh, specific on a particular body organ system or whatever. So you're, you're basically making up for your lack of fruit and veg if you get to a point during prep where you have to cut down on your your sort of fruit and colorful veg intake the other supplements that you could probably consider would be um again we have to understand the effects that uh, chronic stress can have on the body and especially towards our, our hypothalamic function so Elevated levels of cortisol can have dampening effects on the hypothalamus and how it outputs the, the stimulating hormones of the body. Um, I'm not a massive fan. Like everyone, uh, I really like ashwagandha, but ashwagandha brings with it a level of problems that when we look at the, the literature, it can cause um, issues in terms of our serotonin. So it can actually dampen our um sensitivity to serotonin and what what you can tend to find is your emotions come a little blunted with chronic ashwagandha use so it can be great in a prep scenario where like you just blunt every single emotion to your body but it's not it's not the greatest thing that if you're trying to lead like a a balanced family life and you're going around where nothing really affects you emotionally you're just going to be seen as almost like a, a, a stone cold prick. Like Everyone will just think you're still in prep. They'll be like, are you still in prep or are you in <laughs> Note to self, maybe stop taking that every single day. So it's definitely, it's one of these supplements that you can't, you can't experience what's called hedonia, which is basically you just don't feel any pleasure in things. So you, you sort of, 
you become so adapted to the environment that nothing excites you, but nothing pisses you off. So you're just sort of like this level emotional field where you're just like, yeah, whatever. Um, Anna, maybe your issue's been taking ashwagandha every day for the last three years. Not the fact that you don't <laughs> you don't have a functioning hormonal system. <laughs> We've talked about this so much, Dean, and I swear to God, you've just literally explained what I've said on like five episodes where I've been like, so recently implemented TRT back in um, the beginning of December. And I feel a lot better now. But prior to that, I said to Mads, like, I just feel a bit like meh. Like nothing massively pisses me off, but nothing makes me exceptionally happy. I'm just like, what well, is what it is. But yeah. I also have been taking ashwagandha almost every single day since like 2019. Yeah, that, that's something to consider. Um, and I'm speaking like from personal experience because I was taking our AM priming stack would be our like full blend of adaptogens so you've got ashwagandha you've got holy basil rhodiola bacopa all these stuff that to help your brain adapt to stress and um i remember I must have been taking am priming for about the first 10 weeks of of last year's prep when we got to sort of back end august time uh, morgan turned to me and said like you never smile you never like sort of seem to be happy or laughing or whatever you, you just say you seem like like that meh you're just sort of like <laughs> the, nothing pisses you off but nothing seems to make you happy I was like yeah actually that that does <laughs> I'm really thinking to myself that does <laughs> uh, describe how I've been feeling like the last couple of weeks so um as soon as I stopped AM priming and the ashwagandha intake within within four or five weeks everything was back to normal again that's sort of you know you're fine and things are funny and you're laughing and it, it's just the side effect of of how these things basically and not to make it like scary, but we don't have a huge understanding of how adaptogens work within mm. the brain. We know, okay, there's the the withanolides are the active component of ashwagandha. We know they interact with the serotonin and, and dopamine system, but we don't actually really understand how they get the brain to adapt to stress, just that this is a consequence of these herbs. So um, adaptogens can be useful. Um, obviously, and you're helping the body to adapt to stress, which is going to be chronically outputting cortisol. And then cortisol is a knock on effect because now you're going to have elevated blood sugar as a consequence of that adrenaline. That increase in adrenaline over time can effectively make you, um, I guess, less responsive to um, fat burning. So you're going to have a point where yeah. effectively you're just pumping out all this adrenaline constantly that your cells just become a little resistive to. Yeah. Um, so being able to control that cortisol response, either nutritionally using adaptogens where we're helping the brain adapt to the stress or using something like uh, phosphatidylserine is another really good natural anti-stress um, molecule. Um, and that helps to lower the output of cortisol from the adrenals. Um, they can be considered. So I guess from from a prep perspective, you've got your multivitamin. You've got maybe, you know, your your adaptogens or your ashwagandha, depending on, on how you are, even in terms of your your 
parasympathetic nervous system state and being able to get into that state after mm. training to wind down in the evening mm. um stimulant use you know if you're, if you're heavily using caffeine throughout the day you're going to be in that heightened edge um sleep, sleep suffers massively doesn't it that's another thing then so it comes back to then do you need to support your your sort of sleep pathways nutritionally and that was where designing the sleep stack came in so with the sleep stack you're looking at what what drives the biochemistry of sleep and so you start to understand okay you need good levels of serotonin to be calm before you go to sleep but you have to have lower levels of dopamine so that you can actually fall asleep so your brain isn't you know thinking about a million yeah. different things before you you go off to sleep and that's you know that's potentially a new sort of in the past the old sleep supplements would have been very sedative based so they would have had like hops and ethanolic extracts so it's basically like having a glass of wine or something before going to bed so it acted mm. on that sort of uh, chemistry on the brain um and you had other sort of uh, uh gray area supplements like fenibut and gaba where you're just acting on the gaba receptor in the brain to just tell your brain to shut off but mm. not act- get into a restful state of sleep that a sleep support supplement for you know a, a prep athlete might be something to consider if they don't get the basics so just like nutrition your basics of your sleep is your sleep hygiene so what are sort of your rituals before you go to bed uh what's your environment like for sleep um what is your relationship with your own sleep and your you know your your body's own need for a certain amount of sleep so it comes back down to like the whole thing about multivitamin and thyroid stack and everything is it comes back to yes you can put in some supplements but what are you doing to start with anyway that can actually help so address the issue first so sleep okay what's your bedtime routine like what time are you going to sleep what are you doing before you go to sleep how long are you actually spending in bed addressing that first and then if you're still having potential issues like dropping in these things as well um we had this conversation on the last last podcast about like levels of need for things mm. and we were talking about that like, levels of athlete and who needs to or who thinks about taking assistance who doesn't and where are you at well it's the same thing right like okay supplementation is one of the first things you can you can put your hand to but before that what is your routine like are you maximizing everything that you're doing first how do you even know if your sleep's suffering if you sometimes do cardio in the morning sometimes do it in the evening sometimes train early sometimes train late you don't even know what your routine looks like and what's maybe even disturbing your sleep mm. so Get your routine right first, and then if you're having problems with certain things, then you can start to address them. Otherwise, you don't even know what the root cause is, right? Yeah, yeah. And that that's, again, it comes back to probably more of my honesty when it comes to supplements is that a lot of these things can be can be addressed within your sort of lifestyle environment to an extent. And then, obviously, we're using these supplements to supplement that lifestyle environment. Yeah. I think if we're honest with ourselves people always say if you go to them like you're sleeping okay they're like yeah it's all right but like break that down like you say Mads and 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 Dean you are you going to bed at the same time every day are you waking up at the same time are you waking up this is another thing are you waking up to a violent alarm or are you waking up 
a little bit before the alarm. That's going to give you an indication of whether your your clock is kind of ticking along at the right speed. And if at the weekend you want to lay in, bear in mind that that lay in is going to have a knock on effect over the rest of the week. So if you get up at 7 a.m. Monday to Friday, you probably should get up at 7 a.m. at the weekend as well. Yeah. Laying on your phone in bed like for an hour before you actually go to sleep. All of yeah, these little things, isn't it? There's little, you know, little routines like that make a massive impact. And it even comes back to um, conscious and subconscious um, associations to your bedroom. So you're, you're like really your bedroom should be your sleep environment. And a lot of people don't actually um, probably realize this, but we all have developed um, internal habits to sleep um, known as sleep onset association. And uh, this this was something that I became like really interested in when we had our first son, Callum, um, and understanding how to get him to sleep. Um, and Callum was breastfed. And then when we started weaning him off and putting him to bed normally, um, he'd he'd only go asleep in our arms. So he'd only go asleep if we were cuddling him. Put him in the car. I swear to God, 90 minutes later, waking up screaming. Go in, lift him up, put him in your arms, goes back to sleep. And that would repeat. Mm. Eventually, I was like, it's just something not right here. And then I started to look at... Uh, habits and cues and behaviors so obviously with with in this case Callum's sleep onset behavior was being in our arms so he associates sleep with being in my arms same with adults do you know what your sleep onset association is and it's the same for every adult can you take a guess brushing your teeth lying down in bed (laughs) it's one thing and everyone has it on their bed and it's your pillow. Bet you if you went up tonight to go asleep and you'd lie it on top of your mattress with no pillow, it would take you forever to fall asleep because yeah. you're so used to associating <clears throat> head on the pillow. I close my eyes. I go asleep. And that's yeah. that's one of the things that they try and train in um, chronic insomniacs with getting them to mentally associate bed pillow with sleep not tossing and turning or checking their phone or checking the clock it's literally when i'm tired i put my head on the pillow and i go to sleep Mm. yeah it's such a simple thing but like you say it yeah if you get the right sleeping position and your head's in the right spot and if you change your pillows or anything like that it always messes with you for a couple of weeks doesn't it yeah and i mean that's what when we had to change callum's behavior it was head on the pillow and go to sleep and then you know obviously the the association was still then us in the room so we changed the association where we slowly left the room over a period of a week and then eventually head in the pillow and off to sleep you went so again it comes back to a lot of these things when it comes to you know setting up routines especially with prep it, it can be just a simple strategy rather than looking at the most fanciest supplement or medication yeah so you would say then like from a basis standpoint then obviously we can look at a lot of these things with nutrition we've got sleep etc looking at basic multivitamins what is do you have like two more kind of go-tos that you would say okay this is also what i would include 
Yeah, so probably um, your essential fatty acid intake becomes quite important. Um, if anything, if you're sort of a macro-based coach or if you're even a macro-based athlete, as you get down to like the nitty-gritty part of prep where you're on like bare minimum, tra- like almost trace fats, you still should be aiming for what I believe at least four to five grams of essential fatty acids. And that, that's coming from either um, fish oil as actually an, an oily supplement or capsule based. Yes. Um, your sort of your omega trees play into how the membranes of your cells all form. And they play into not so much hormone function because of their different shapes or they're not cholesterol based. But they still have an important place to offsetting oxidative stress, which can um, obviously damage our cells. And obviously we're given the building blocks to the membranes of our of our heart, of our brain, etc. Even if you're a natural athlete, there's still cells that are open for for environmental attack from pollution or whatever else. Um, that'd be one thing that should be in every person's uh sort of supplement arsenal is an omega-3 essential fatty acid supplement and coming back to that what you said earlier on just if anyone's listening picking up uh, an omega-3 in tesco's is not the same <laughs> like if anything you look at on those shelves in tesco's they are not the same so get yourself a good quality one not just anything that you can pick up yeah i mean they've done quite a lot of comparative studies um and you can you can google this there was i think it was 2019 or 2018 they took like 60 different off-the-shelf omega trees and checked for uh the oxidation of the omega trees so basically how much of the omega tree was still intact and then the rancicity which is actually the omega tree is actually broken down into something that's probably toxic to your system and i think the results were like 60 to 70 percent of the the products were pretty much oxidized so they were useless yeah i watched a program on this um not regarding getting it from like an omega-3 supplement but the same thing from your fish like from your salmon um i i can't remember what it was called it was on netflix maybe about 18 months ago and it was a documentary about this and it was about your source of fatty acids from your salmon and saying that actually 90% 90% of the salmon you consume, you think, oh, yeah, I'm getting my salmon, so I'm getting my omega-3. Like, actually, a lot of it is, is not the far, like a lot of the farmed salmon that you're getting because mm. of the food sources that they're eating, they aren't actually giving you anything. So you, even if you think you're taking that on, a good quality omega-3 is probably going to give you more than you thinking that you're taking it on from salmon, which probably comes from a terrible source because it's over-farmed. So. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, one of those, it's one of those supplements that really, again, Quality matters. Um, our Omega Pro Plus, the chewable one, like that was something that I was really heavily invested in and researched. That is fished off um, the coast in Norway. And as soon as the fish are caught, they're processed on the boat into yeah. the oil for the capsule. So literally, the oxidation value of that oil is extremely low. It's about <laughs> less than 1%. Uh-huh. And then you've also got the rancicity side of it. None of it is degraded because as soon as it's caught, it's processed straight into a capsule, kept in a in a dark container so it's not exposed to light that can break down omega-3s. 
and that's something that you know really look at how companies are producing those oils because again it'll affect your health yeah negatively yeah yeah so we're looking at a thyroid supplement a good multivitamin an omega-3 yeah and then final one um yeah i think what what would be something that people would need on on a desert island what do you need yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so your multi is going to cover your, your general health. Your thyroid is sort of covering that aspect, your, your hormones. Um, you've got your omega-3. I'm going to probably go out on a whim here. And the final one will probably be glutathione. Yeah. Um, reason being, glutathione is the body's master antioxidant that's what all the fancy people call it these days your your liver produces glutathione from three amino acids so again it comes back to your to your diet um uh, cysteine glycine and glutamine if i'm if i'm right off the top of my head but you you basically recycle these three amino acids into glutathione and you can track this on your blood work you've got an enzyme on your blood work called ggt uh, and that basically shows you how well your body's recycling your glutathione levels. Now, for obviously an assisted athlete where the liver is, is under a bit of stress, glutathione is important there. But even from that discussion aside, a natural athlete, we're being exposed to so many things that deplete glutathione in our environment without us being even aware of it. Um and scarily one of them is electromagnetic radiation so you know our phones our wi-fi um while people sort of are out and saying you know 5g and all these uh radiation patterns don't cause health impacts what they do is they cause the body to respond and use up our antioxidants so if you don't have enough glutathione in your body or over time you're being exposed to um, toxicants that deplete your glutathione level, you're going to see health impacts. So obviously in that regard, glutathione as a supplement becomes very important for replenishing if you're not able to give the body enough through diet. So obviously cysteine sources, sulfur sources are how you give the body um, the precursor to glutathione if we're going to look at it from a nutritional perspective but getting in that level of uh, cysteine um you're looking at like cruciferous vegetables providing that that sort of high cysteine or again dairy whey has it depending on on the cow and the milk that was produced are generally high in cysteine as well so um it comes back to you know in prep you're going to be taking in quite a lot of whey protein because then you might be deficient in getting enough cysteine in and when you're deficient in glutathione it's not necessarily something that you feel but it will have impacts to how your liver is able to excrete metabolites and one of the things that our body uses glutathione for is estrogen metabolism for excreting estrogen and quite often what i see when we do 
um, something called a Dutch test, which would be a dry urinary test that can look at levels of neurotransmitters in the body and how the body's using glutathione for estrogen metabolism. More so males, because that tends to be where, where I tend to specialize with sort of health strategies. But a lot of males who end up with, say, acne, hormonal acne driven by estrogen and estradiol is because they have a blockage in terms of their glutathione. So we see that the body's trying to get rid of the estrogen, but there's not enough glutathione to push it into the urine for mm-hmm. excretion. And that's something that crosses over. And um, I guess a tag on to this question is then the difference if this was a, an assisted athlete, like if there's one or two tag ons you would put on to an assisted athlete, a female assisted athlete, obviously we're talking about females here. And I know that something that I, and that I take is liver stack as well as that. And for the estrogen management effects of that, um, because although, and I think we don't want to go into too much science here because, you know, we don't want people to get lost, but the understanding of like managing estrogen in females as well as males, but in females, especially in a prep scenario, when you're trying to bring a look to stage as well, especially in the latter half of prep, Mm. where you're trying to bring what we'll call like a dry look to stage and you're trying to reduce the amount of excess water on the body like that estrogen management is really really important right yeah yeah of course so obviously the the whole old school idea was estrogen causes you to hold fluid which isn't directly true how it how it, what it actually does is it, it changes the set point of fluid retention for the whole body so the whole body basically when you've elevated estrogen it moves how well your body's able to hold water up a notch. So all of a sudden the, the global water retention increases. Um, so when you have elevated estrogen, you have to look at how does the body get rid of that estrogen. And you've just touched on one there with the liver. The other side is the gut as well, similar to the, the thyroid hormone. So you'll have effectively estradiol or estrone e1 which is the other form of of uh, estrogen or estriol e3 which we don't really tend to look at too much e1 and e2 um get transformed by your liver into another chemical structure so now all of a sudden that estrogen isn't estrogen and it does that by transforming the estrogen through phase one metabolism so phase one just changed the structure it's no longer estrogen but the body can't get rid of it at that point it has to do another transformation and that it attaches something onto the molecule to make it more water soluble so that it can actually go into your urine so you can be excreted so with liver stack you've got diindole methane dim which is a very popular like supplement for estrogen and all dim basically does is speeds up how fast estradiol and estrone get converted into the metabolite the transformed metabolite so now you've 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 effectively gotten rid of the parent hormone into a metabolite for the metabolite essentially what that means for people then is you excrete out the excess estrogen essentially through going to the toilet like going yeah, for a wee so. and essentially weeing out your excess estrogen um, and that's 
that's where the, the calcium deglucrate, you use glucrate to make the estrogen more water soluble so it goes in your wee. Or the other side is your gut health. Some of your estrogen will pass from the liver into your bile, into your small intestine, and you poo it out. The interesting thing is when some of the estrogen goes through the gut route, you can have certain bacteria that will feed on like the glucrate that you've put onto the estrogen. So now it'll eat the glucrate and you've now got free estrogen that just passes through your gut back into your blood and goes off and interacts with your cells. So effectively, your gut bacteria is um, helping you recycle your estrogen back into your body. Uh, which isn't which is always what, a good thing. No. Which Yeah, which isn't a, always a good thing. So then you have to look at, you know, you can look at this with like stool tests, um, how much of an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase you have. And that's basically how much you're, you're cleaving away. So your liver health and your gut health will help with the Important. estrogen excretion. So we so um, just bringing it back to then with this being a natural or, or an assisted athlete as a female, when looking at your gut health then, in terms of like a good go-to, obviously like getting your micronutrients in, making sure that you, you're having a good multivitamin. But in terms of gut health, like this is something that is, without going into too much detail, <clears throat> an issue for some females will have like PCOS as well and endometriosis, like they end up with a lot of gut problems. Mm. In terms of trying to keep their gut in a in a good place as good as you can without getting a million different tests done what are like just would you say is as a basis um to try and promote good gut health maybe some things that people should be doing on a daily basis um or maybe some basic over-the-counter things that people can um use to to look after their gut um or even if it's supplements you know normal supplements yeah so sorry i'm probably the nutrition would be you know key here with with dietary fiber yeah um some people's guts just do not get on with fiber and that that tends to tell us that there's an issue with dysbiosis that we've got bad bacteria within the gut yeah Yeah. um fiber is brilliant it helps us control our appetite makes us feel fuller for longer and has the added benefit that nutritionally we can't really absorb nutrients or calories from fiber but what we do do is we feed it to our gut and it helps bulk intestinal transit so it helps move things along in the intestine so i've i've um something that i sometimes give some of the girls during their prep is things like psyllium husk etc when their fiber gets quite low um yeah. because they they don't have as, as much carb sources they don't have as much fiber sources really to use so they do end up a little bit deficient in it and can have troubles even just like with stool movements and going to the toilet so just adding in something like psyllium hus even can really help that's exactly it and then you have to look at the different types of fiber so you have soluble fiber and insoluble fiber so Mm -hmm. the fiber that, that mixes with water and the fiber that doesn't so um Psyllium husk could be a really good example of soluble fiber that you can mix with water and it absorbs water and expands. And you have insoluble sources like um, really like the skins of vegetables. So you've got like uh, apple fiber would be a powder that you could buy that would be insoluble fiber. The issue with insoluble fibers is that they 
they tend to feed gut bacteria more than soluble fiber. So um, gas and bloating tends to be a bigger concern when it comes to insoluble fibers. Um, inulin would be another one that you'd see in supplements. And if you take an inulin supplement and all of a sudden it causes diarrhea or bloating or uh, abdominal issues, then we can probably be fairly confident that there's a level of bad bacteria within the gut because what you're effectively doing there is feeding that bad bacteria to produce gas. Um, I think actually the, that's probably a good point to touch upon there, that the gut is, I mean, you, obviously you've got your brain, but I often hear the phrase like the gut is the brain of the body. It actually tells everything else what to do. So if you are having problems with um, going to the toilet or processing food in any way, probably a sign that something else is going on right yeah yeah and that's that was something that we touched on earlier um when we were talking about post-competition health and uh, me and dr chris was you have to sort of look at again what's the composition of a female's diet in prep you're, you're gonna have two in my mind you're gonna have two scenarios with females you're gonna have the lucky ones that have a decent level of metabolic flexibility that's been built over the off season that they go into prep with a, a relatively high carbohydrate intake and that tends to sustain into prep and the deficit in that case tends to come through removing fats so that mm-hmm. person is obviously able to sustain prep on a, on a higher level of glycogen and are more metabolically adapted to uh, glucose as an energy substrate and then the other reverse is females who tend to go like ketogenic, where it's more protein and fats with a level of non-starchy vegetables. Both of them, in my mind, are going to end up with some level of dysbiosis from one um, approach or the other. The higher carb intake female is probably going to be deficient in fats towards the end of their prep. So they're going to have issues with um, the correct amount of bile and lipase that breaks down fats in their gut. So what that female is probably going to find is post-competition when fats start increasing, they're probably going to have a certain level of diarrhea or a certain level of um, small intestinal flushing where the body's trying to adapt back to making the right levels of fat-breaking um, enzymes. I've I've seen this quite a lot actually with some clients who have potentially come and and people listening may relate to this where they've come off the back of a prep probably low calories like low amounts of fat like lower than where you would really like to be even at a total baseline for a female and then they think that they'll go straight into their like recovery phase or whatever they go straight up to maintenance calories and they have all sorts of issues with the digestion straight away. And I would probably say that one of the biggest complaints that I will have from people is like, oh, I can't put too much fats in because I can't digest them very well. It makes me like this. It makes me like that. And that I, that that really resonates, I think, and is quite a big problem with a lot of women is that they'll go not so much with males because I think there's less of an emphasis of coming post-show and getting fats high and you know that that kind of like caveat that they say with women and we see that a lot but they go to put fats in their diet and bump them up and they have issues with their digestion straight away. Yeah yeah and again fats have benefits um, towards 
increase the amount of lipase and, and bile that you produce. So again, that multiplies the fat, but it helps lubricate the small intestine and the, the large intestine. So again, you're pushing bulk along, you're making things more, I guess, um, lubricated. But if you're in a scenario where you haven't had fats for a long time, your pancreas probably hasn't made quite a lot of lipase for a significant number of weeks. And the impact that fats tend to have is they slow gastric emptying. So everything, your digestion rate slows down while your stomach's trying to break it down. That that slower gastric emptying rate will have a knock-on effect to how often your bowels get moved because gastric emptying, the signal of when the sphincter at the bottom of your stomach opens to let the chime or whatever flow into the small intestine for further processing stimulates peristalsis. So again, if you're eating higher level of fat, your digestion is probably going to slow down where slow down. Yeah. Your, your appetite might even be affected or you might find that the stomach might refuse to break down the fat and it'll end up, you know, going into the small intestine the gallbladder responds to that emptying, that fast emptying by producing too much bile and you end up with really, you know, immediate yeah. diarrhea where you've eaten some food and all of a sudden you have to run to the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, um, it's definitely something to see, like, I wouldn't say like commonly, but it's not uncommon for like people to complain about that after a long prep, potentially where they've been really, really deficient. So I, I guess, it's, um... go on Hannah. I think it's rare for someone to come out of a prep, male or female, and have good digestion. I think you tend to see one or the other. They either go too much or they don't go enough. Yeah, I mean, ideally, your bowels are most active in the morning and at night. So if you're sort of not going to the toilet in the morning, if you're having a bowel movement later in the evening before bed, that's fine. If you're going to the bathroom during sleep or you're being woken up out of your sleep to use the bathroom there's a big problem there because effectively as part of sleep our digestive system slows right down so you effectively shouldn't have any form of pooing in the middle of the night if you're woken up in the middle of the night to have to go to take a poo um, there's something not quite right in terms of your circadian biology and towards how your sort of body is responding to the food during the day. And that's why then when you wake up in the morning, when you hydrate and you start moving around, you have what's known as a mass movement where you tend to evacuate in the morning time because everything is waking back up again from during the night. Um, the other side then would be, like I said, the keto version of sort of like a high protein, mm-hmm. moderate fat, very low carb diet setup. Um they're probably going to struggle a little bit again with bowel function because of their their fiber intake. They're going to have relatively low levels of carbohydrate intake. So again, for the female who has a higher carb intake, we can probably put in stuff like oats to an extent so we get to the really back end of prep. So they're getting a level of fiber through nutrition. Um, the female that's on sort of keto probably will have to supplement with soluble and insoluble fibers throughout prep to ensure that the bowel is emptying frequently but also post prep you will have a level of um normal bowel function with keto um because of 
you're going to have a higher fat intake so your gallbladder is making more bile and it's lubricating your intestine and you're able to go everything's sort of being pushed along that way but you're still going to end up potentially over time you've got bits of debris and stuff like that that needs to be pushed on by fiber um, as well as helping the liver excrete toxic substances so mm. both of them have their their downfalls um and i'd be willing to like make a statement that probably 75 percent of competing bodybuilders will end up with some level of dysbiosis mm. and whether that whether that's temporary induced by prep or whether that continues into off season really depends on how you manage that post-competition phase yeah really important yeah this comes back down to what we've discussed before so just and i think we've touched on it about four or five times throughout this just us chatting is coming back to that level of detail within your like nutrition and things like that it's not just enough to be like oh okay fats are this many and carbs are this many and proteins this many i'm just going to eat my food making sure that you are coming off the back end of prep and putting yourself in a healthy state and you know as an individual you might not know what that is but your coach should know what that is and just understanding variants of micronutrients and variants of food like if you're eating the same carb source all the time the same protein and the same fat source it's probably not going to quite cut the mustard so it's like okay well you might be following a macro approach maybe but varying your food sources and, and ensuring that you are supplementing that with 100 200 grams of of veggies with your meals is really important to ensure that you're getting those micronutrients in especially if you know you're not able to afford large amounts of supplements like obviously we've established here like a good multivitamin isn't very expensive like a good multivitamin is going to cover the basics and they're not expensive but what you should be prioritizing post-show is not necessarily thinking oh i've got all this food but how mm. can i make sure the food that i am putting in is actually going to benefit me and it's going to be in the long term like how you finish your prep that you're in now and come out of it is going to have a massive impact on how your next prep starts and how successful that is. So that reverse, not just about not getting too fat too quick, but also getting healthy as quick as you can, is going to serve you massive purpose. There's no point getting in an off-season, being able to eat loads of food if you can't actually digest it and process it and use it correctly, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, another side to prep is approximately 60%, 70% of your basal daily energy intake goes towards your immune system mm. so when you get into the really depths of prep that's when as a competitor you can be pretty much classified immunocompromised mm. and and you're going to be in a scenario where you have to be really diligent not so much probably towards like colds you can probably battle a cold with prep it's more so than respiratory illnesses like flus or Worst case scenario, um, picking up a vomiting bug or gastroenteritis that can pretty much you get to the final stages of your prep and you get a stomach bug like this. It's going to go two ways. It's either going to make your prep where you rest and the body recovers or it's going to break it where you end up in a scenario where you have to halt, halt your competition plans depending on how your body goes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of towards the end of the prep. Thankfully, we all kind of turn into ourselves, don't we? And we don't really want to do too much social stuff. But say they're going, oh, do you want to go around your aunties? And someone mentions that someone's been sick. You're like, no, I don't want to go. No, <laughs> Because I think we all know that 
you're not going to fight much off at that point. No, I, I, I prep cold is a thing, isn't it? The prep cold. Oh yeah, prep cold is a thing. Is a thing. I, I, I unfortunately got stung last week, last year, one week out from uh, my main show this season, which was like the the PCAIR show. We we got back from the the Arnold Expo, and Callum caught a stomach bug from uh, starting um, preschool. Everyone had that like Arnold's flu, I think. Oh, yeah. I was so sick after Arnold's. The, so then then Morgan started getting sick from it. And I thought, all right, I, I had a little bit of a cold from the Arnold like everyone else. And I thought, all right, I'm going to have dodged this because they're all throwing up. But I've had nothing. So obviously we all think that when someone has a vomiting bug, it's 24 hours and then you're going to pick it up. Yeah. And absolutely nothing. That was like Wednesday. And then Sunday... I felt a little off, but I was still okay. And I woke up Monday in the middle of the night, and it was both ways. Oh and that no! Was, that was six days out from that that show. So, you know, it's it sort of someone told me that then it takes about four days for a stomach bug to incubate before it hits you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you come into contact with someone who has a vomiting bug, don't expect it to be like if it's the next day and you're fine, you're not really fine. It's still You've yeah, you're not superhuman. Fire. You've not like beaten it. You're gonna get sick. Make sure yeah. you smash the multivitamins over those four days. <laughs> Plate of thyroid, isn't it? Everyone <laughs> hails that as being the the magic that stops you from getting sick. That that was that was fortunate enough. That's the beauty of electrolyte plus the electrolyte product. Yeah. Because that if if I didn't have that, that was prep out the window. I would never have been able to turn turn that week around after that. So again, that, that immunocompromised setting, that's where it's really important with the the multivitamin you're getting in your adequate vitamin A and vitamin D. Like yeah. you you could say they're supplements within themselves that people should consider, but your your sort of multivitamin will cover your your vitamin A and vitamin D needs appropriately. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I think we've covered a huge amount there for like how a natural athlete can maximise their natural potential and also getting into the, the nitty gritty of how to kind of handle digestive issues towards the end of a prep um, and then how to prime yourself coming out of it as well, both from coming out of an off season and into a prep scenario and then coming out the back of a prep as well. Um, I've taken a lot of value from that episode. There was things that I had no idea about which I'm going to go off onto the supplement need website in a minute and order myself some bits. Uh, maybe put the ashwagandha away for a bit as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was only going to say that. I think I think um, as a bit of um, I guess a bit of like a, a supplement plug maybe as well is that if people want a little bit more information around like different supplementation just in general, like they want to know a bit more about like importance of a multivitamin or the thyroid stack and what it really does on your supplement needs website there is a free education yeah there is levels there is paid education as well but there is free education on there that you can read about each product and what it does and it tells you there like a little bit more information so if anything like we've spoken about today's like gone over anyone's head or they want to like go and check it out like it does tell you um the basis of what these things do so you can obviously go and read that as well but i think like for me the valuable thing here hopefully for people listening is like the foundation of everything that you're doing especially like as a prep as a prep person as a prep competitor like you need to 
really look at like the source of your nutrition not just when you're coming out the show out shows but in your off season and creating like a healthy baseline to start from because if you ain't in a good position before you start in prep you it's probably only going to get worse as you mm. go into prep so you know if it is a bit complicated as well trying to find sources of the foods and all of the things that you've listed here dean like you can just buy supplements that have all these for you and sometimes to be honest um they can be a lot more cost effective like i found that with like a joints product for example like you putting together all the things in a joints product like that i need and then the cost of that compared to the ease and the cost of just buying like yeah. say your joints product is so much better so like think about what you need and there are things out there that can help you especially as a natural athlete you don't need to think oh well my thyroid is just going to be what it is because i can't take t3 and t4 like you can really put yourself in a good position in prep without having to use like assistance i think it's important to understand Um, amazing yeah um dr dean if anyone wants to find you where can they find you um probably the best place be instagram so it's dean stm um as mads touched on we we have sn education so there's there's product videos on everything we've talked about today if anyone wants to understand what the product does and there's a a simple infographic with like four or five bullet points on it the key things to understand so there is a a product forum as well that's free so there's a frequently asked section that's open on our forum uh, as part of the the paid members part but you can access it for free where you can just ask questions on products so people might ask me a question on sleep stack rather than email and us a customer service you might just put on sn education so that's free for everyone to follow there and if anyone's interested supplement needs my discount codes dr dean so that'll get you 10 percent off the whole website amazing perfect thank you so much um thank you everyone for listening if you have any questions as always please kind of ask away to mads myself um or as dr dean says you can hop on the website and ask the questions there i'm sure his dms will be open to any questions that you've got as well amazing Um, Thank you for listening and until next time, we'll see you then.